Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's Jay. And thank you, Tyler Clemens, for that wonderful introduction to our show. That's Tyler Clemens over there at uh, NBC Watertown that voices that for us, Ron. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's got such a great set of pipes. He does... uh, he does a lot of uh, announcing for local sports. He does okay. uh, does okay. some stuff for us for uh, the Watertown Rapids once more. All right, right. yeah. Just a great voice. Great yeah. voice. Yeah. So, Tyler Clemens, the man awesome. behind our introduction. Well, good good morning, Ron. It's still morning for us, yeah. yeah. No, actually, yeah. it's afternoon. Oh, darn. By we three minutes, we, we missed it. We yeah. missed it. Uh, How you been, sir? Uh, we've been good. Another busy week on the farm, Jay. Um, things are rolling right along. Everybody's in the middle of harvest season here, and uh, so lots of activity. Of course, we're uh, we had a good show last week talking about the uh, overtime cow. threshold, and I, uh, I haven't shared with you some of the feedback I've been getting on that. It's uh, um, <clears throat> uh, a person I I spoke with last week uh, on the phone. He listened. He started listening to the podcasts. He had the opportunity to sit down with some muckety muck type people out of Albany, mm. and he shared the podcast. Oh wow! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's become a tool out there, Ron. Yeah, we're it, gonna be in trouble, Ron. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, and I had another producer who pretty hard to please let's put it that way and we got i got a text message from him the next morning and said you guys are doing a great job keep it up so <laughs> well hey we like that we yeah. like that cool uh we'll, we'll take that we'll take that hey we're trying and uh you know we try to provide as much information as possible laden with a lot of our own opinion and uh you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody enjoys uh, the podcast. Well, obviously, if you keep coming back, that means you like something. Yeah, about it, yeah. So. Well, we've had we've had a couple of weeks of kind of uh, dark conversations, yes. I guess, if you want. <laughs> it, uh, we're really trying not to, folks. Yeah, but there's but, so much out there to talk. You know, about. and uh, so we were, I w- we were trying to think of some positive stuff this week. But you know, my son-in-law said to me this morning. He said, you know. Why is it lately like every week there's some new crisis that's coming about? Yes. I mean, you know, rail strikes and uh, I mean, it it just uh, it's 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 like it's we're being bombarded with this stuff. So it's really hard to ignore. It is hard to ignore it. I mean, yeah, we're not here to just be negative, but we're not here to sugarcoat things either. Right. Right, you know, we're trying to get information out there and and share insight with people that you wouldn't normally get anywhere else. So yeah, uh, hopefully it's helpful. But yeah, it uh, that rail crisis, I thought for certain we were going to have to spend a whole a whole podcast oh, on man, that. I will tell you, that was really scary. I mean, that would have been bad. Somehow or another, they pulled a rabbit out of their hat and got that averted. But that would have. That had been the nail in the coffin had that uh, come to fruition. And I am glad better heads prevailed and uh, yeah. uh, we were able to move past that. And uh, 
Yeah, I mean, that would have been bad for agriculture. It would have been bad for every piece of the economy. Yeah, absolutely. Horrible, horrible. Now, so we wanted to talk about something positive, and, and boy, it sounds like dairy prices are in a positive direction. Yes, I mean, we've, uh, you know, we've had six, eight months of really strong prices here. We we settled back a little bit here in July and August, but still, uh, for this time of year, uh really strong prices and then as of late here uh the last couple weeks we've seen uh the milk futures uh market pretty much uh reestablish an upward trend and uh so it's it's looking real positive going into the fourth quarter here of 22 and even into the early months of first quarter 23. But what, what is driving those prices? Well, you know, really the U.S. is kind of the the only game in town. And we've talked on previous podcasts about well, what's, happening what's in going in, on in Europe. And you've got weather issues in, in, in Australia, New Zealand. Um, you know, the global trade auction this week, uh, things were up. The bids were up for product coming out of New Zealand. So... Uh, and China's reopening, uh, you know, they've had these COVID lockdowns right, over there. Right. Uh, they're in a drought in China. So rice production is, is very limited. Uh, they're looking to, you know, rebuild their hog, op- uh, hog uh, uh, production after African swine flu. Uh, so people coming out of lockdown, of course, want goods and services and want to be able to eat and uh so non-fat dry milk uh those kinds of things uh, big demand going into asia for that um so we're in a good position here yeah it certainly sounds like it i mean what are we uh, where are we at with prices right now per hundredweight you know roughly uh blend prices uh have been averaging 25 plus here for the last several months um so for for the listeners that don't understand the terminology what does blend price mean so that's the price farmers receive for you know their product based on uh, the location they are um situated in okay because a lot of prices is based on location where you are in proximity to boston um, and then what your fat and protein content of your milk is. So that's an additional supplement to yeah. the regular price. Yeah. So, okay. uh, so your blend price and or mailbox price, uh, has been, you know, for, for milk with average components, uh, central New York location, uh, kind of been in that northward of $25. Wow, that's that's kind of nice to hear. Yeah, that is positive. We'll yeah. take it. And even though feed prices and fuel prices and everything have, have other things have gone up, labor costs have gone up. You know, it's been really necessary to have these kinds of prices to yeah. for producers to be uh, profitable. And you know, I, I'm talking to an ag lender this morning who who really said, you know, the appetite amongst producers for spending a lot of money right now to adding cows that kind of thing is is really pretty benign there's just not that appetite there interest rates going up uh, a lot of uncertainty so we're seeing cow numbers be pretty stable milk production be stable uh it's not growing a lot and demand is growing 
So, yeah. well, that's that's very positive because a lot of times, as as you well know, uh, as milk prices went up, the amount of cows that were going onto farms went up, and yeah. then milk, you know, milk volume went up, which then drove down the prices. Right. Right. So, if there can be some stability in that aspect, where uh, farms ride this wave and take advantage of the higher prices. That that'd be a positive. That'd be a real positive. And I read an article, a couple articles in the last couple of days, talking about kind of the dual role that dairy cows are playing now, because a lot of farms are breeding dairy cows to Angus mm-hmm. and creating a crossbreed, um, which in turn is kind of keeping the the replacement heifer. Uh, population at a at a stable pace okay and then they're able to sell a beef animal uh Hmm. off the dairy farm so uh so so that i understand that what you're saying is that uh dairy farms are are somewhat diversifying into two roles they're becoming beef producers and milk producers that's correct by crossbreeding their their holsteins or whatever uh, with Angus, which is a, yep. a beef production species, uh, they're taking they're taking more beef off the farm now than they yes. were before. Yeah, that's absolutely correct, and that fits those animals feed out very well, and they fit very well in the uh, kind of the chain restaurant uh, market. sector market. Uh, you know the uh, Longhorn. Uh, Steakhouse, uh, Texas Roadhouse type cuts that uh, hmm. you know very high demand for those. If you if you drive by those restaurants or yeah, go to those, never, they're packed all the time. They're never right? empty. Yeah, so uh, I don't like driving by them because I smell the fragrance yeah. of steaks in the air, and I'm like, oh crap, I can't stop now. Yeah, but I also don't like standing waiting in the parking lot. Right. So. Yeah. Well, that, and that's the other reason I don't stop is yeah. they're always so damn busy. Yeah. Holy cow. Uh, but you know, so there's demand for those cuts of meat so you know and we could that'd be another we'd get our friend travis maddox yeah, we'll uh, back, back on, on. Uh, to talk about this but uh you know so that's been really good because uh for dairy producers because of course drought in the plains area and those areas that are lar- you know mainly beef producers has really uh decreased the calf crop from in those areas of the country where drought has kind of been prevalent the last year and a half or so. So Ron, just, uh, so you said that the milk prices right now, roughly $25 per every hundred pounds of milk that a farm is uh, shipping out. And that's rough. That's, that's a generalization. It varies from farm to farm and so on. Do you know what the rough estimate is of the cost of production right now? Is it 20, 20, Yeah, so of course that varies farm to farm. Drastically. Drastically, but, uh, you know, in that $20, $21 range right now is kind of, I think, a benchmark. Okay, okay. So, you know, we're into profitable territory here. and Good. You know, which has given farms an opportunity to, you know, retool, pay down some debt, um, and uh, maybe put a little money away and get positioned to be stronger, uh, depending on where we head. Well, let's hope that continues for at least a year or two. We really could use just a stable dairy industry. 
as you and I know, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't work that yeah, way. Yeah, and our and our milk processors could use that as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of volatility doesn't bode well for anybody. Uh, of course, this week, I mean, we we did see a little negative news with the you know producer price index and the consumer price index numbers being yeah you know not that not very good really and well i was listening to and i don't remember his name exactly uh, Pre, uh president obama's uh chief economist i believe it was mm-hmm. and uh, don't want to get into doom and gloom but he is not optimistic about what's going on uh yeah it, it was kind of scary what he believes will happen and it's basically extremely contrary to what the current administration right, has right. some kind of vision is going on around them. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, it doesn't look good. So if the dairy industry can find a place where they're profitable and they can somewhat maintain that place, the thing we have to hope for is that the as as prices go up on our food and we run into the shortages and stuff that you know that the consumer doesn't start to cut back on consumption of dairy products. Right. Right. Hopefully that will maintain uh, as a a staple part of their diets and so on. But very good news. I mean that and that certainly is very beneficial for our local economy as well because you know our dairy farms are a significant part of that economic engine in especially our rural economies maintaining our school districts, our communities, uh, keeping contractors and so on going. Um, that's you know those dairy farms are are huge rocks of the foundation within our local economies, especially rural economies. That's true. And, you know, coming out of, through COVID and coming out of COVID, um, it appears that consumer trends have kind of reverted back to some more traditional um, buying habits and milk and meat being uh, kind of forefront in that. Yeah. And uh, dairy products and meat, um, you know, where they're, Consumers are, you know, even though they have a finite amount of money, they have to make a choice. But fortunately, dairy and and beef is uh, is there at the top of the list. Right, right, yeah, and I, you know, I think you'll see that continue. They'll just choose on the meat side. They'll just choose yeah. less expensive yes. uh, yeah. uh, cuts or products of meat to maintain the protein on their tables. And then dairy, you know, most people have dairy on their table Mm -hmm. to some degree or another. So uh, that part's good. Hey, I want to change subjects here, Ron. Uh, We've talked here on the podcast about the the issues with immigration reform and finding enough workers and so on. It appears the U.S. Senate now is undertaking an effort um, to change agricultural immigration law have you heard anything about that well just uh kind of a little bit i guess you know not uh, been a busy week so i hadn't heard yeah. a whole lot about it other than i knew some things were starting to filter through the senate and uh and i believe uh there might be a bill in the house too as yeah, well the, right the uh that was uh hr 1603 actually sponsored by, by congress St- Stefanik. Yeah, yeah, Congresswoman Stefanik. And um, 
uh, that uh, H.R. 1603 was the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, which New York Farm Bureau spo- uh, supported. And that was an effort to uh, reform the H-2A visa program, which is a guest worker or seasonal guest worker program, to make it more mm-hmm. uh, workable for the dairy industry because the dairy industry needs right. a year-round employment base. Yeah. So that actually did pass Okay. the House. That was passed. So the Senate is now currently drafting uh, immigration reform legislation that would hopefully mirror what the okay. House passed. And hopefully, hopefully, although we are coming up on elections, uh, the Senate will pass theirs, and the House will have theirs passed, and then they can do the, the conferencing, the, or the whatever. conferencing or whatever. And maybe after tw- I've been at this for twenty-one years talking about this subject, maybe after twenty-one years for me, longer for others, uh, maybe we'll finally see something happen to reform uh, immigration so that we can have a safe legal workforce for agriculture at a minimum yeah uh, because we wouldn't that be awesome and <laughs> it uh and and to think we we just might get congress to do something really positive here we might <laughs> i'm knocking on wood folks i'm knocking on wood here and both sides of the aisle are, are can maybe take credit uh, for uh, something let's positive so. let's um, hope so well, New York Farm Bureau is encouraging everybody to contact Senators uh, Schumer and Senator Gillibrand uh, and let them know that you do support uh, the effort in the Senate to reform agricultural immigration uh, to support uh, having farm guest workers uh, be able to work here legally in the United States. We'd really love to be able to put that legally part in front of it. Um, so that that's uh, that's a big development when I saw that come across. Yeah, that's desk. really positive. And, uh, you know, for the Senate to be following suit here and hopefully they could get through conference and, you know, who knows what will get sidetracked coming up on an election, but it would be really positive, uh, you know, to have a guest worker program is just going to be so critical uh, here for for ag businesses. Uh, it just, I mean, yeah. we've talked about it before, and the matter of fact is there's just not enough people no. to do the work. And it's so, worse. Yeah. We were saying that before the pandemic. Now it's worse. And we absolutely need... To, and and the workforce crisis is going to continue for at least the next decade, decade. if not a generation. Uh, so we absolutely have to find a way to bring people into the United States legally that are interested and willing to work on our farms. Yeah. It's, it's got to happen. There's just no two ways about it. Otherwise, our food will come from elsewhere, and that, I don't think, is what we want for a no, lot of reasons. For sure. So, Ron, um, another big issue that uh, came across my desk was some uh, guidelines uh, from Farm Bureau uh, to farms about this, um, in addition to the the whole uh, overtime threshold mm-hmm. topic that we talked about last week, that uh, there's another part of that farm laborers 
Fair Labor Practices Act that the New York State Legislature passed in 2019, and that's for collective bargaining on the farms. And, you know, the industry is very, very concerned about that for obvious reasons, that it's it could, uh, could really put our farms and our food supply over the barrel uh, for, during a collective bargaining process. Yeah. Well, uh, Farm Bureau has put out some guidelines just in case your, you know, some of your employees decide they want to do this. Uh, they've put out a series of recommendations on, on these. I don't know if you've seen them. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on this whole thing? Uh, it's really scary because as an employer, boy, you're you're pretty much muzzled as to what you can do, what you can say, how you can react to these kinds of discussions going on in your farm. I mean, you have to certainly have to be supportive of the collective, collective bargaining process. You need you can you can, however, be transparent as to what it means for the employees and the employer uh, in hopes that, uh, you know, it'll ward this effort off. Uh, In the end, it's it's not advantageous to either party to go down this path. It doesn't appear to be. And uh, it is advantageous for the unions that want to collect dues off hardworking individuals and really give nothing to them in return. Right. right. But you can't say that no. to the employees no. in, within the discussion. So, well, it, it, and it's it's interesting as I look at these uh, guidelines here. One of the things you were right. It says, "Do not remain silent." This is to the yeah. employers. Do not re- remain silent. Uh, you know, your employees may be looking to you for information and advice. So silence on the issue of developing a union is not necessarily in your best interest. If an employee asks a question, try to answer it or find out the answer. But on the opposite side of that, they said, make sure that you do not threaten, interrogate, promise, or surveil your employees yeah. uh, that are looking, you know, that are looking at unions. Um, make sure you don't predict something bad will happen if they unionize. Uh, don't interrogate them about whether they're sympathetic or talking or anything. Don't interrogate them. Um, do not promise that something good will happen if they reject a union. And do not spy on union meetings or eaves- eavesdrop on union conversations. So do listen and communicate, but do don't threaten, interrogate, promise, or spy. So that's really a thin line to try <laughs> yeah. to walk. And that's the scary part yeah. because you are potentially uh, can be held liable for sure. things that may be said or taken out of context. Yeah. You know, it, because if I were your employee and I came up to you and said, hey, Ron, you know, uh, there's some talk on the farm about forming your uh, a union here. Uh, but you know, I'm just wondering, do you think that's a good idea? Which a lot of your employees will Will, look up to you and want to know what you think. And if you say, no, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah. You just crossed the line. Yeah. And even though he was asking you for your opinion. Right. And, and wanting an honest answer. Yeah. But if you do that. (laughs) You, you are potentially in trouble for yeah. 
uh, you know, in a way, threatening. Yeah. In a way. Uh, or or interrogating maybe I don't know but it, I wouldn't I wouldn't answer yes or no I'd I'd be answering that's up to you to decide yeah here's here's how it works here's yeah. what happens is you know I will no longer be able to talk to you about your problems or performance or work conditions you will then be talking to a union representative who yeah. And so you may be the best employee on the farm, but you may not get a raise because your yeah. union didn't ask for it or yeah. didn't negotiate it. Yeah, in in your best interest. So it's 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 going to be an interesting thing, and you know certainly it has. And I'm not against unions. Both my parents were union presidents, mm-hmm. and it, when when they were back working. Uh, they were conservative people, but they also were yeah. involved in their unions. Well, unfortunately, you know, unions served a very distinct and needful purpose in in another time, and and unfortunately, uh, you know, they've moved down a kind of a a path that's maybe not as friendly to the employees that of how they were designed and. And some some certainly are still very needed and viable, and and I'm certainly supportive and in, in that situation. But you know, farms again. We talked about this last week. They're so unique. I mean, we have such personal relationships with our employees. Right. Right. And you you know we've worked really hard to create a culture of communication and camaraderie and teamwork and and. Uh, rewarding people for, you know, doing a great job and, and engaging and providing leadership. And, and then this kind of moves everybody back to this, to this level playing field with really no opportunity to, for upside gain. Exactly. Exactly. It, It takes some of that, that individual merit, that yeah individual work ethic away uh, from the business, it puts it into the union, yeah, but not with the business. Yeah. So it, it creates that separation. Yeah, it really is a it's a process that really is going on. Farms would put everybody, employer and employee, in a very strange and uncomfortable position. Yeah. Now I look at our dairy manufacturers. We do have one dairy manufacturer that's a union shop. Mm-hmm. And we have a dairy manufacturer that's, you know, they're actually owner, um, yeah, uh, employee owners, yeah. Um, and it's interesting to see the differences there between the two, um, you know, in the the relationships between the two, mm-hmm. they are different. You get a different sense when you w- walk into both of those shops. Both of them are good; mm-hmm. uh, they're good manufacturers. Uh, but there is a little bit of a difference yeah. in there and how things work and the relationship between uh, management and, and employees and yeah. both of them. So yeah. um, you do see that a little bit. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't want to comment because I don't want to get myself in trouble with either right. of them. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's this is just, you know, another situation, I think, where you have – bureaucrats and advocates, so-called worker advocates who have an agenda that's 
really not in the best interests of the business, and it's not in the best interests of the employee. And it's just like what we saw yeah. with the people lobbying for this act yeah. to get passed. I mean, you had a group of nuns from what, Rochester. Yeah. They have no contact with agriculture. Yeah. And yet somebody told them that the workers yeah. were being abused. Yeah. And so they, and what more powerful group can you have lobbying on your half? Yeah. On your yeah. behalf than a, a, a group of nuns yeah. who's going to go against them. Uh, but that's the reality of the situation. So, hey. yeah, and and I think in this case, you know, they realize that farms are unique, and you know, there is an opportunity to expose a weakness, if I guess you could say, in the farms of of the fact that you know we do have this kind of close relationship with the employees, and you know, we tend to. You know, we tend to communicate, and but that can be seen as a weakness, right. and uh, right. and uh, you know they they can expose or exploit that that close relationship and and make it sound like we're you know we're not doing something in the best interest of the employee. That it's kind of hard to explain, but you can right you can see how that yeah. Yeah, you, you definitely can. You definitely can. Well, we're starting to draw short on time here. I, I want to let folks know, I believe the uh, Cream Cheese Festival over in uh, yeah, Lowville is going on right? this weekend. So yeah. if you've never been, uh, go check out the Cream Cheese Festival. Uh, obviously, Old McDonald's Farm is uh, open for business and doing yeah, all kinds of great yeah, things. Yeah, we're picking pumpkins and uh, the sunflowers that are hanging on and Folks, if you haven't come out to see the sunflowers, probably got one more weekend here. Just one, and, you think? Yeah, yeah. and uh, but they've they've hung in there really well. And uh, God, we've been going since uh, the middle of August with them. So, wow, uh, great! You know, a solid four weeks here, and uh, we might squeeze out a fifth one. But uh, pumpkin crop is good. Um, a lot of scurry of activity there to get things ready for the weekend here. It looks like Saturday is going to be a great day. Sunday might have some thunderstorms. So. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, I haven't looked at the forecast. Yeah. Forecast. But, oh, uh, by the way, I forgot to mention. Um, it looks like last week of September, uh, I believe, knock on wood, I believe we will have a meteorologist from SUNY Oswego oh, coming great. on the yeah. show. And we're going to be talking about lake effect snowstorms, which awesome. you and I have yeah. talked about. <laughs> it, but they're doing this really cool lightning storming, and I've been helping them locate okay. farms yeah. and put these sensors on. And so hopefully everything, it's not definite yet, but hopefully that last week of September, uh, we will have a meteorologist from SUNY Oswego here on the show with us to talk to us about this lightning during lake effect storms, uh, snowstorms study that they're doing. Ian just talked to us in, about lake effect snow. Yeah. So Ron and I are going to be in our glory. Oh folks, yeah, because man, oh man, that <laughs> there's a love hate relationship with that lake. And oh yes, <laughs> yes there is. Yes there is. It, it, sometimes it's wonderful, but to be on the east end of the lake, and then other times it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
So anyways, I'll keep you informed on that, All right, Ron. great. Well, great. sir, I think it's time to wrap this up. Yeah, I'll head back to the field and get you back to work, Jay. Yeah, I'll get back to typing. I owe a, I owe a column to Northern New York Business oh, there Magazine. You go. So. I have to type it this afternoon. All right. Or else I'm in big trouble. <laughs> so, hey, folks, thank you very much for joining us here on the podcast. We really appreciate all of you that uh, tune in every week. And, uh, hey, don't be afraid to share it out there to others. Uh, let them hear about agriculture and all the great things that we talk about here on Jay Madison's Rural America. Thank you for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America. Make sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.